Welcome to Bickering Peaks and today's special episode, a chat with Andrew Grievous of 25 Years Later Sight. Yes, and we are here with very special guest, Andrew Grievous from 25 Years Later Sight. Yeah. Say hi, Andrew. Hello. <laughs> Andrew's taken time out of his very busy schedule yes. to talk to us um, on, on the phone, yes. On the phone, yes. And but on... on the, or near, very near the anniversary, the one year anniversary of 25 Years Later Sight, um, we kind of arranged this so in the place where we would normally chronologically be speaking about Twin Peaks. We are actually talking about a Twin Peaks website, the premier Twin Peaks website, I'm going to say. Full disclosure, you guys all know I work for 25 Years Later. I'm executive editor underneath uh, Andrew. So um, just to get that out there from the top. Yeah. But I still think we have a yeah. we have a pretty awesome website. Yes. So, um, so yeah. Hi, Andrew. Welcome to Bickering Peaks. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Thank you for joining us. Yeah. And yes, we'll, we'll jump right into the questions, though. Don't, yes. Don't despair. But <laughs> Lindsay, after well, you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yes, it's it's really cool to be able to talk to you. And, and uh, it's something we wanted to do for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And it just worked out brilliantly this time. So yeah. I'm hoping that uh, yeah. there will be lots of other opportunities in the future. But I'm hoping that they all line up serendipitously in the way that this has. Well, I really appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. First question, Andrew, how did you get into Twin Peaks? So um, I remember the previews that aired before the pilot, and there was one in, there was a variety of different uh, commercials that they aired, but there was one that really, really caught my attention, and it was describing the town, and the commercial was, it's a nice place to live, but you wouldn't want to die there. Mm. I was five years old. I was five years old when these commercials were airing, and it scared me to death. Anytime, because <laughs> you know, back in those days, there was only what three major networks, mm-hmm. and so it, that that commercial was airing constantly. ABC heavily promoted the pilot before it aired, so I would hear it all the time as a kid, and I'd be like, "I don't want to see this. I don't want to see this." But then the night that the pilot aired, I found myself in the same room as my mom when she was watching it, and somehow that kind of just became my thing where. I would sneak into the room and watch the show with her. And, you know, I was a young child, so I didn't obviously pick up on much of the show whatsoever, but some of the visuals just really stuck with me throughout the years, and some of the characters just really stuck with me throughout the years to where when I was older and I watched the show, I actually did remember far more than I assumed I would. Very cool. So your mom, like, let you watch it with her and and didn't mind, like, the the content or the, you know, any of that stuff? (laughs) I think she assumed that it went over my head Mm. and her assumption was incorrect on some parts. (laughs) (laughs) Other parts it definitely did. Yeah. uh, I, I was surprised when I rewatched the show as a teenager that I remembered who the killer was. Mm-hmm. I remembered a lot of the characters very well. You know, there was a lot of things that I distinctly recalled from watching it as a five-year-old. And and I should say that um, by the time the season two finale aired, my mom had actually quit watching the show, <laughs> and I watched that by myself. Oh my really? god! Wow. <laughs>
and I watched the finale, scared out of my mind by the time it ended. <laughs> and I remember just going upstairs hiding. Oh my gosh. And yet you came back to it later on. <laughs> yes, uh, not until I was 18. <laughs> That was my uh, next question. Yeah. So, how yeah. how old were you when you watched it again? So, so from six to eighteen, you just, just it was not part of your life at all. I was petrified. <laughs> you know, anytime I would see Kyle MacLachlan anywhere, I would just uh, I would tense up. If uh, I saw Cheryl Lee anywhere, I would tense up. Mm-hmm. I remember Mulholland Drive was uh, a pretty big film for Lynch, and you know more so than a lot of his other releases, it got a lot of publicity. And just hearing the name David Lynch scared me. Wow. So I, I, I just didn't want to think about Twin Peaks. You know, it, it, particularly Laura in the Red Room screaming in the season two finale mm-hmm. was really what did me in. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it did a lot of us, and even those of us who were yeah, much adults. older when we watched it. <laughs> but your your experience is like mirrors mine so yeah. closely. It's actually eerie, like to, down to being five and watching it, and then being afraid of Kyle MacLachlan, <laughs> which is so weird, and um, all of that stuff. Like it's 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 actually kind of uncanny how similar our early experiences with Twin Peaks are. Yeah. Um, but you did come back to it much earlier than I did. I think I was twenty five when I when I rewatched it, but, um, it's a much more manageable age, I think, than yeah. five. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what brought you back into it? If, if I, I'm sorry, just start asking questions. No, that's fine. I know you you're, you're the big interviewer at 25 years later site. So <laughs> it's kind of hard for you to put on the, the, be on the other side of the mic, but, um, it is strange. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> um, so, I mean, like my dad watched it, religiously when it was originally on and then he for i think it was mother's day 2010 or my mom's birthday 2010 he bought her the gold box set the the gold disc box set and uh and i i immediately was like dad this is the worst gift ever because mom hates twin peaks i don't know why you bought this for her (laughs) so i really did feel like it was like homer buying marge the bowling ball in that episode of the simpsons (laughs) Because my dad wanted it for himself. And anyway, he was watching it. And I had already moved out by that time. But I was visiting them one night. And he had me watch the beginning of season season two. two. So it was, you know, the room service waiter and Cooper shot on the floor. That was my reintroduction. And so that scene alone, which is so odd if you watch it out of context, most people probably wouldn't be interested in in the show at that point, they'd be like, this show is ridiculous. I'm not going to watch it. But it just intrigued me so much. I just, I had to find out what led to that. So it was weird to start from the beginning again. And I didn't remember much of anything except for the visuals of the show. So unlike you, I didn't have, you know, strong character relationships or uh, plot memories or anything like that. So to watch it from season one, the premiere, the pilot, through to season two, knowing that Cooper was going to get shot, knowing some of the other details that come out in the second season opener um, was interesting. But yeah, that's how I got back into it. Nice. Yeah. My experience was a little different. I, uh, When I was 18, I frequented the local video store mm. on a regular basis. I was always finding something new to rent. And one day I happened to be going down the aisle where Fire Walk With Me was. Uh, and I, I had that same, like, eerie feeling, like, oh, I don't even want to look at this VHS tape. Yeah. But I picked it up anyway, and I read the back, 
and I saw a few names that I knew weren't a part of the television show, like Chris Isaac and Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland. And I just remember telling myself, like, I need to watch this. I had never <laughs> seen Fire Walk with me. I was like, I just need to face this fear. I am 18 years old. <laughs> crying out loud. Stop being scared of this. <laughs> and I went home and I watched it that night and my mind was blown. Uh-huh. I understood very little of the film, but it was enough to make me want to watch the show again. Yeah. So that's kind of cool that you got Fire Walk with me kind of out of context a little bit like you hadn't watched the series yet so you watched fire walk with me first in your like rewatch i guess did that color your interpretation of the like watching the series again when you started it soon after i'm i'm presuming it was soon after fire walk with me you started watching the series again did it color your interpretation it was, or? It was soon after um you know just because i did remember so much from the series that I, I don't think it's uh, it totally colored the experience but it definitely had some impact that's for sure mm-hmm. that's so cool yeah that's interesting now yeah. uh, interesting path to seeing it again that's that's really cool so do you have any favorite moments that that stand out for you from the original series and i mean now we can include the return obviously we always could include fire walk with me but any like standout moments that really like you call your favorite moments that fluctuates so much for me and a lot of it just kind of depends on the mood that i'm in Mm -hmm. you know if i'm in a really like lynch mood for lack of a better description Mm -hmm. there's a lot of moments from the pilot that really stick out to me um I, you know, this scene kind of gets made fun of just because it is kind of hokey, but I love a lot of the hokey elements of the show. <laughs> I love James and Donna at the end of the pilot. Yeah. When they're in the woods, and it's just that teen romance aspect that it, it is corny to an extent, but there's also just something really cool about it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I love I love a lot of the bad humor, too. <laughs> so just kind of depending on the mood that I'm in, I often call James the greatest character in any television series I've ever seen. (laughs) Yes, you do. I can attest to those. (laughs) And that is really funny, Andrew. That's hilarious. Thank you. (laughs) But I do find great enjoyment out of a lot of James scenes. Um, And to the point where some of those quotes are just they become my favorite parts of a lot of the episodes. As far as as far as like favorite moments though the episode where Laura's killer is revealed is still my favorite episode of the series. Really? Even with and the return so, and everything? Even with. that, That's wow. definitely my favorite. Cool. And, you know, and with the return, like, there's a lot of hours in that that I think as time goes by and I rewatch the return a few more times, I will probably put part 18 very high on that list. And I know that everybody jumps to part 8. And don't get me wrong, I love part 8 just mm-hmm. as much as everybody else. Part 18 is the one that I'm the most in love with right now. Yeah. If you ask me to pick an hour from all 18 hours. But I think the episode where Laura's killer is revealed is still my favorite from all three seasons. Yeah. yeah. Any particular time. reason why? The mood. Yeah. Uh, you know, every single scene in that episode just has this really tense feeling. Mm-hmm. It's this emotion that just kind of carries through. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, you know, it's it's a little bit more subtle, like with the record player and right. things like that. But by the time they get to the roadhouse and Donna is just crying and you don't know why. Mm-hmm. And then you see Bobby Briggs and Bobby 
Javi is really what seals the deal for me because he was just such a a cool character, for lack of a better description. He didn't really have a whole lot of emotion with the exception of maybe the scene in Jacoby's office in season one and mm-hmm. the funeral. But Bobby, for the most part, was very even-handed. Mm-hmm. And to see him just kind of choked up, mm-hmm. you knew something was going on. And that was really kind of Lynch at his finest, where you could feel something that was happening. You couldn't explain it. And even these characters who weren't vocalizing anything, there was no obvious descriptive action that makes you feel a certain way. But there was that mood just flowed through all throughout that hour. And then by the time you get to the final sequence with Maddie and Leland and Bob, it's just, I can't believe that aired on television, but um, it's very powerful. Yeah, it really is. I mean, that, that you, you described it really well with the mood. It's just a mood for that whole episode um, that I think is unmatched. I can't even think of another TV show that has an yeah, hour of television like quite like that. I mean, even mm-hmm. hearing The World Spins, the song, uh, the mm-hmm. Julie Cruz song, which I listened to in the car on the way home from work today, it got me kind of choked up, um, which is... Like yeah. rare Amazing. for me, yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. this song still has resonance because it's so linked with with those scenes yeah. in that episode. Nice. The, yeah, I think you're right. There's very few other television shows that really ever kind of achieve that kind of emotional effect. Mm-hmm. I can think of a handful of hours of The Sopranos and Mad Men yeah. that are really the only other shows that I can think of that achieve that. Yeah. Um, and they're both heavily influenced by Twin Peaks, so go figure. Yeah, mm-hmm. right, exactly. So, we want you to di- dive into your mind. Go back one year. Okay. <laughs> what was it? What inspired you to create 25 Years Later site, the Twin Peaks? Well, it started as a Twin Peaks devoted site. What what mm-hmm. prompted you to, to kick that off? Really, it was just this feeling of, this is special. A show is coming back after being off the air for nearly three decades. And you know, at the time, I was writing really bad fiction. And uh, <laughs> I was kind of going nowhere with that. And it was this feeling of, like, okay, I, w- I want to do something creative. The show's coming back. And my first thought was to do a podcast. And okay. there were a few that I was listening to at the time. I didn't realize how many podcasts were out there that yeah. were devoted to Twin Peaks. And yeah. So I started listening to some, and I started posting in Facebook groups more often. I'd really just been a lurker in those groups, mm-hmm. so I, I kind of knew what was going on, but I never really commented, and I certainly never posted. I was just observing. Mm-hmm. But when I discovered how many podcasts truly existed, and I thought to myself, how can I do something different than mm-hmm. them? And the answer was, I don't think I can. Mm. So I kind of gave up on this whole idea to do something creative for a little bit. And then one Sunday afternoon, uh, my three-year-old, my, well, he was two at the time, he was napping. And I was reading John Thorne's The Essential Wrapped in Plastic. Mm. And I started to remember years back, and really when, around the time that I was 18, I started searching for a lot more uh, Twin Peaks content on the internet, just mm. people's theories and those old message boards that existed in the late 90s, early 2000s, and how much I really just yearned to read anything I could about the show, yeah. any potential season three storylines that were abandoned back in the day, mm. and where people thought things were going. Mm-hmm. And reading John Thorne's book, that, that level of analysis that was there for the show, it just kind of got my mind going, and I was like, well, Maybe I could start the 
I was 18. Huh. And that's kind of where the idea came from. That's really cool. That's really cool, yeah. That is really cool. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, you're right. There wasn't much, uh, even up to, I mean, when I was starting to get more heavily involved in the Twin Peaks community around 2010, 2011, there were, you know, some of the message boards and stuff, but they weren't as active. And I think it's partly because we didn't believe the show was coming back. So mm-hmm. now, I mean, yeah, I can imagine a year ago, the excitement, we were part of it, you know, meeting yeah. that level of, of analysis and, and discussion, um, especially for a show like this. I mean, I think you kind of caught the wave right when it was starting and, um, and now the site is all this. So, I mean, that was pretty prescient of you to, to cap- capture that when you did. And you and you mentioned wrapped in plastic is like and it, for a lot of us it was kind of the entry point for you know the analysis and the in depth kind of discussion and stuff like that um, of the original series and Firewalk with me and you know some other pieces um, but you know obviously a website's very different you know wrapped in plastic as the magazine was you know very uh, issue based well yeah it was it's a hard copy issues. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah it ran on a basic print schedule and everything. Um, and even, you know, the essential wrapped in plastic, uh, you know, archive and, and compendium, uh, was a book format, you know? So, so the, having a website, how do you, how do you think that's changed, um, how we discuss the show or, um, do you think it's added something extra to the community or is it kind of more following in the footsteps of wrapped in plastic? I definitely think that we're following in the footsteps, but with a modern spin, we can be much more reactionary now. Mm. When the show was happening, we we had the ability to, okay, an uh, an episode aired last night. Tomorrow night, we have the ability to publish an article to talk about what everybody is talking about, but with a little bit more analysis than a Facebook post would have. We had had that ability for a quick turnaround. Mm Part five or part six, I think, yeah. a lot of this is like Facebook groups are part of it and Twitter conversations are part of it but on a on a website or in print format in in any kind of media I think mm-hmm. um you're setting the conversation you're driving the conversation too you're not just um just adding to that. it or participating in it you're actually like creating the space for that to happen and I think that's one of the cool things about 25 years later site is that it did become kind of a 
I don't, I don't know, touchstone maybe isn't the right word, but it's, it was the place. It was a gathering place. It was the water cooler, you know? And, mm-hmm. but it wasn't just the place people went to. It was also the place where they could go to seek, you know, that higher level conversation that was being had by regular writers and regular people who, who I think over time fans started to like come back to as for a reason, you know, it was, it was like, Oh, I, I really want Justin's analysis. I really want Eileen's analysis. I'm, I'm really looking forward to what Andrew has to say or what, you know, anybody, Laura, whoever was writing about it, your favorite author, you, you would have somebody to come back to, um, which I think is, is really cool too. So it was, it's kind of a mix of both because it's not quite as loosey goosey as, you know, a Facebook group or a Twitter mm-hmm. thread, but it, it doesn't, it's not um, l- limiting, I guess, in a way, the way that, you know, traditional, traditional media yeah. might, might be. Yeah, really, it really leverages the best of uh, both in that way. It's because yeah. you can, you can have the long read, you know, you can have a really in-depth article that gets into some of the nitty gritty that, you know, people are talking about um, and yet allow you to, you know, explore them in, in full, um, you know, in full thoughts and, and, you know, uh, yeah, in full length, you know, you don't, you don't have to abbreviate anything in, for a Twitter conversation or, you know, include a funny gift to, although they don't hurt, but, you know, to keep the <laughs> Facebook conversation going or something, right? Like, you know, it's, it's a nice, uh, yeah, like you said, it's a nice balance. Yeah. So. It, and it was really neat that we had as many writers as we did. And obviously our staff is bigger now. But we were able to uh, not only divide up the story threads, but also the different kind of analysis. You know, Twin Peaks offered a lot of social commentary. Obviously, the theories were a big part of it. Mm -hmm. And we had different writers that kind of specialized in different things. So we we were able to really kind of provide on each of those conversation pieces. You know, if you were a theory driven person, Brian's third day theories that yes. came out every Wednesday night was something you could look forward to. My, uh, my column that came out on Monday nights, I always had my Mark Frost social commentary moments where <laughs> I would really dive into what I thought he was talking about. Right. And I know there were people that really enjoyed that and we each kind of had our own I'm struggling to find the right word, but we each had our own thing that we really kind of latched onto with the show, which mm-hmm. again just speaks to the strength of the writing. Yeah, I think that was that's something that really impressed me about the site from early on is is um, the level of writing, and it continues to this day. I'm constantly impressed. I mean, Eileen with her um, X Files writing that she's mm-hmm. doing. I, I think um, you said it on Facebook earlier today that it might be the best X-Files coverage anywhere on the internet right now. And I think that's really, I mean, you've collected a wonderful assortment of writers to, to work with you, which is really cool. I think that's really cool. It, it is. And I wish that I could take credit for that. <laughs> I know that ultimately I'm the one that like assigns the access to the website and things like that. <laughs> But I really can't take credit for the people themselves because they've all been recommended. And if we're going to really break the fourth wall here, Lindsay, you recommended most of them. <laughs> they were all introductions. It was all just, okay, here's someone you you guys should talk. And it just blossomed from there. So I don't know if I should take credit for it, but I'll take credit for the introduction. That's, that's as far as I'll take it. <laughs> 
But I mean, if we if we want to look back, you know, Eileen was the first person that came on board after yeah. that you recommended, yeah. and then John Bernardi, yeah. and then Laura, right. and it just kind of worked from there. Snowballed from there. Yeah, that's that is true. But mm-hmm. um, well, I'm I'm thankful that you that you think that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, talking about the the writers being integral to the site, I think also the fan community. Um, we as a, as a site and you as site runner, I guess, wouldn't have the success that you have now if it weren't for, you know, the fans who constantly hunger for this, this content and everything like that. So I'm wondering if running a site versus just participating in the discourse on a message board or Facebook or wherever, has that given you any special insight or anything into the Twin Peaks fan community? Like what makes them special or more unique than other communities maybe that you've been a part of or that you know of um, on the internet or elsewhere? I've studied this fandom far more than I care to admit. (laughs) (laughs) And I've come to a lot of conclusions. I, I think that really what brings us all together is that everyone has an emotional connection to the content. Mm. I mean, whether it's that Twin Peaks touches a part of you that is maybe something from your personal life that you weren't willing to talk about that mm-hmm. drew you to the content, or it's your, it captures your imagination in a way that nothing else has. Mm-hmm. But we're all just so infatuated with this content that we come together and it, it's like we found these people that we can relate to and we want to stay in this happy little bubble. Yeah. And inside this community, there is a thirst for knowledge and there's a thirst for communication and there's a thirst for a togetherness because mm. it's like, oh, cool, we found people that like the same weird stuff that we do <laughs> because nobody at our job or nobody in our normal everyday life likes this the way that our friends on the internet do. Right. And it's this sense of like, okay, cool, I found people who understand me. And this fandom has been has just been booming. I mean, obviously it was very large in the early nineties, but now, I mean, with the with the invention of the internet and the way that the social media has taken off, like it's gigantic. I mean, even looking at our writing staff, our writers are literally from all around the globe. Right. So that's pretty neat. It's in terms of like I mean, we could really go on and on about the fandom for a long time, but um, it, it is very interesting to see how different the fandom is. You know, people are attracted to different parts of the show, mm-hmm. and that again speaks to the quality of the writing. Mm-hmm. You know, we could ha- we could have five fans join us on this show tonight and mm-hmm. ask them what they love about Twin Peaks, and we would probably get five very different answers. Right, and that's something that really fascinates me. No, it's true. It is such a varied community and and that that is something really cool about the like internet as a democratizing tool. It really means that everybody has access to it. So you are going to get this kind of multiplicity of responses and, and viewpoints, viewpoints and, everything. and everything like that. So it's it is really interesting and it's cool that you've studied it so much. I think you you probably have to for the site, but um but it is interesting to study just on its own just because of how, uh, like you said, how isolated people normally feel if they weren't part of an internet community like ours or like any any other place on Facebook or on Twitter or wherever, they would feel very isolated with 
their thoughts about Twin Peaks because it isn't, even now, it isn't like a, a hugely popular show that not like Mad Men or The Sopranos or Lost exactly. or something like that. So you need something like the internet to really bring people together. Um, it would be really interesting like if we could have a like a time machine and go back and, and find out how the fandom really worked and do this kind of analysis on the fandom back in 1990, 91, <laughs> and then just compare it. Because I, I think back then, I mean, people didn't have access to the internet as easily, obviously. So the people who did were from a certain section of the population, yeah, socioeconomic and status and, and stuff yeah. like that. So, I mean, it would be very different than the way it is now, yeah. um, which is only benefiting those of us who are part of the community now, yeah. I think, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. You know, when uh, when season three was on, I really did try to pay close attention to the different types of fans. And mm. now, I, I still pay attention to it, but it's not as required as it was when the show was on. Right. But trying to make sure that the writing staff met the needs of all the different types of fans that, right. that there are. Mm. There are some fans that are very much... Um, Keep the mystery alive. They don't want to go too deep into explanations because they believe that you're just supposed to experience the art. Yeah. Then there's other fans that really want to dive into the nuts and bolts and theories of it and that will kind of argue over the minor details. Not that they're like heated arguments or anything, but they will debate details as they're flushing out their theories. There's other fans that really are character driven uh-huh. and that they, they appreciate the moments uh-huh. and you know what, maybe the big picture stuff they don't completely understand, but that's okay because they love that world and they love the characters that exist in that world. Mm-hmm. And there really are different uh, type. There's, there's several more different types of fans too. And trying to make sure that our writing staff catered to that yeah. was something that was very important to me. And I think we did do a good job of that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we did. I don't know, Aiden, as a nonpartisan. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely, I mean, the, the variety of different angles, like, yeah, like the the character pieces or the the ones you guys are running. Uh, I don't know if it's still going on, but it was like um, the top like the top women of Twin Peaks, yes. and then you know the top non-speaking characters and stuff like that. Like those are really cool. You know, a way that's one way of looking at the show, and then you know, almost like a listicle. And then there's like the really in depth, like John Bernardi. <laughs> I know his theories are so detailed, and he he's diving down into the minutia. Um, and that's great. And yeah, so it is great to see that, that different, those different viewpoints. Yeah. Expressed. And it's neat that you have this ability to quickly, very, very quickly turn around and say, okay, this is something that needs to be done. So we need to find somebody to do this. And I I do remember conversations over the summer saying, well, we need to up this angle or we need to, maybe we need to put something, somebody on this or whatever, because there was suddenly a need for that kind of dialogue. And um, maybe that's also something that has changed in the community with the ease of access to information and that kind of thing, that we can have such a quick turnaround Mm -hmm. these days. So, um, and I think that's partly, well, it's a huge part of why the site has been so successful is the dedication. Clearly, you've put in a lot of effort into making sure that the Twin Peaks fans who created the site and and made it what it is are always going to be happy with the content no matter where they're coming from or what angle they're looking at um there's something like kudos to you for that that's Mm -hmm. that's actually something that i don't think a lot of people know that 
needs to happen with yeah, the site. So, um, so yeah, I hope people listening out there, you should really, you know, send lots of love and hearts and hugs to Andrew on Twitter and Facebook because that's a big job. That's a huge job that he's undertaken. That's really cool. And a lot of that, again, it just kind of, some of it just fell into my lap, you know. Mm. John Bernardi, we'll use him as an example, his outlook on Twin Peaks is so much different than mine, Mm. and it's different than yours. Mm -hmm. And just by these people coming together with a passion, it goes back to the example I said earlier. If you ask five Twin Peaks fans what they love about the show, you'll get five different answers. And it was that way with the writers, too. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that was just, okay, cool. Like, we've found people to fill in these roles. And then some maneuvering on the fly, like the the character profiles, being able to bring Cheryl in over the summer to fill that role. And then different things like that. Um, Laura, when she came on board, filled a, a different role where she was the very passionate fan who knew exactly what the internet community was because she was so heavily involved in the Facebook world. Right. And again, that filled a completely different role than what you did and what I did and Eileen and yeah. and you know, no, worked great. out well. Yeah, exactly. It did work yeah. out really well. So so do you have any like top highlights from the past year or anything that really captured you and said, Wow, this is amazing. I'm so happy I do this. <laughs> Uh, amazing just like on a personal level well, yeah, whatever if it was like a moment when you're like yes this site is or it could be that it was like this is the moment when the site was i was happy with it and i knew it was going to do well or it could have been like yeah a personal moment like um this is just an amazing experience that i'm going through because of this site okay so uh the first example that comes to mind was when part eight aired mm-hmm. and that was around the time that i felt like people were coming to our site because they wanted analysis mm-hmm. and before you know we were doing moderately well stat wise but that was around the time when people were like hey what do you guys think yeah. and i felt like all of a sudden like hey we're being looked at as those guys <laughs> <laughs> people genuinely want to know what what we think about these things and it blew my mind and before then i just thought oh we've got a cool little website going on and people like to read these articles because they'll read anything twin peaks related because they love it so much yeah. but around part eight all of a sudden it was hey we really want to know what the 25 years later site teams thinks about this yeah. and that was a really special moment for me on a personal level um Interviewing Harley Payton was a really big one for me. That uh, that was very, I felt very jittery going into that, and I remember sitting down and had the sweaty palms, and I was like, "Whoa, like this is really happening." And uh, obviously, interviewing Mark Frost was very special. That was the most detailed that I ever was in terms of planning prior to an interview and notes and typed out my notes and then retyped out those notes after oh that gosh. to change minor little things. <laughs> it was very obsessive before that one. So, so that was obviously a huge thrill. Is there anybody that uh, interview wise that you like have to get that you're like, you're still hoping this is going to happen. Like, you, you know, if, if I get this person interviewed on this site, it will be, I, I can retire. I'd yeah. be happy <laughs> for the rest of my life professionally. Is there anybody like that, that, that you think, uh, other than David Lynch, maybe. Uh, other 
and David Lynch, Bob Engels, mm-hmm. uh, just to kind of round out the writer producers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and plus, you know, he co-wrote Fire Walk with me mm-hmm. in addition to working on the first two seasons. So he's kind of in an interesting position and I, I feel like would have a lot of really fun stories. So yeah. he's very high on my list. From the cast, uh, Kyle and Cheryl, yeah. you know, they're, they're my top two. Yeah. Awesome. Is there anything, th- this might be a harder question to answer, and we'll forgive you if you can't answer it or choose not to, <laughs> but is there anything looking back over the last year that you would do differently with hindsight being what it is, you know, places where you look back and think, you know, I wish I would have done this a little bit differently, or I wish I would have started this earlier, or I wish I would have whatever, whatever. Anything like that? I do have those thoughts very frequently. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very prone to uh, self-criticism, when it co- especially when it comes to the site. Uh-huh. So the, the, this is a conversation that I have almost daily with okay. myself. Um, <laughs> a few examples. I, I, I kind of wish we would have started the rollout into other TV shows sooner. Uh-huh. That, that's a big one for me. I, I, I think that's almost my introducing Wyndham Earl too late moment. <laughs> um, yeah. So... In, you know, I, I try not to beat myself up over that one, but uh-huh. I have had that thought numerous times. I think things were kind of clunky and during while the show was on, and I try to give myself a pass on the growth development because, you know, I didn't have any experience running a site and things got big, very big very fast. It was, uh, it was definitely the Wild West there for a while, so... <laughs> we weren't as together as we are now in mm-hmm. terms of editing and, you know, pu- publishing posts with obvious typos and things like that that yeah. make me cringe when I look back on it yeah. now. <laughs> At the time, everything was just so fast-paced. It was like, okay, we have to have this article out, like, uh-huh. write it right now. And uh-huh. then you read it after it's been published and you're just cringing. Yeah. And most of the time it was me, <laughs> which is even worse. <laughs> Did I really just do that? And some guy on Facebook just called me out on a misplaced apostrophe. <laughs> and, oh, no, I mean, those were just crazy times, you know, with, as we were really getting this thing off the ground and we didn't have our system nearly as formalized as we do now. And some of that is just like time and experience, and, yeah, right? Like you, normal. you, we, we did kind of, um, uh, running gun. Running gun, yeah, yeah. I was going to say it was baptism by fire, but yeah, I mean, it's all all the same metaphor, I suppose. I I think in the end, it, I mean, speaking now as as a a team member, it did bring us together as a team in a a way that um, maybe wouldn't have if if it had been a well-oiled machine from the beginning. You know, we've been through some shit, Andrew, so... So that, that, you know, brings a cohesion and it's, it's kind of cool to, to have that. Um, it's great that you brought up branching out to other TV shows, because that is my next question for you is, um, what's next for 25 years later? That's a very good question. And I like to leave that open-ended because who knows, (laughs) I I do believe that anything is possible and in the beginning, this was just supposed to be a cool Twin Peaks site. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, okay, let's start writing about Lynch's other works because that's the natural progression. Mm-hmm. And then there was that feeling of like, our Twin Peaks work is going to become watered down mm-hmm. if we're trying to force out the same amount of content with no new material. Mm-hmm. And that was the last thing that I wanted was for us to like almost become a parody of ourselves. Right. 
and it was like, okay, so what do we do? We write about other shows that people like us may enjoy, mm-hmm. and we try to take this Twin Peaks community and keep it together. You know, and mm-hmm. we've got these amazing people out there on Twitter and on Facebook, and that we've we've found through the internet, and let's have conversations about um, other things that we're passionate about too. So that's where the idea came up to start writing about these other shows. And in the beginning, I pitched it to the to the team as a book club for mm-hmm. Twin Peaks fans only using TV shows. Mm-hmm. That's, and that's the cool. Idea yeah. Is grow- yeah, and, you know, that was my original concept. And, you know, it's even grown past past that now where we're looking at just, I mean, right now we're living in such an amazing time for television. Yes. Why not capitalize on that? Yeah. And the the addition of film work too, you know. Uh, I mean, just think about how many amazing films we could write about. We could keep this site going forever, just <laughs> writing about films alone. Right. So, so, and a lot of it is just how much fun we're having working together, mm-hmm. and knowing like why why stop? Mm-hmm. You know, why slow this thing down? Because there's a lot of amazing work that we can analyze and discuss and have fun doing so. You couldn't answer that any better. No, that's perfect. That's yeah, really great. Exactly. <laughs> so, and it, and it brings us to our final softball question for you, Andrew. Uh, besides Twin Peaks, what's your favorite TV show? So, if you weren't running Twenty Five Years Later site, what would be the what would be the title of the website you'd be running right now? <laughs> All right, this is, this is another one of those questions <laughs> that depends on the day of the week. <laughs> I have it. I always. I always say I have a top five, a firm top five, but in terms of the order, it rotates so much. Can I cop out and give a top five? Please. Top five, yes. Sopranos, Uh Six Feet Under, Mad Men, Lost, and then obviously Twin Peaks. Awesome. All quality TV shows. All that I've watched with the exception of Lost. Yeah. You've watched Six Feet Under? I'm a staunch defender of Lost. Oh, I know you are. (laughs) (laughs) Lost is one of those shows where, uh, you know, and Stuart, who writes for the site, and Paul, who writes for the site, we're, we're kind of the three amigos when it comes to Lost. Yeah. And, and it's caught in such a bad reputation just because the finale, you know, mm-hmm. people have their opinions on it. Um, and it's almost like they forget that there it was six amazing seasons of television. Right. And it was kind of the precursor to what we had in the return in terms of the internet community. Yeah. There were so many podcasts dedicated to Lost, including one with the executive producers. And they, they had these alternative reality games that happened every year in between seasons where you would go through the, you'd weave through the internet looking for clues as to, so you could solve these games. Oh my gosh. It was just so interactive. Um, you know, we've got an interview that uh, will be out on the site by the time this by the time this podcast drops with somebody who started off as part of one of those uh, ARGs, and I don't know, it, it's just really amazing to be in a position to do that. That is yeah, cool. That is I didn't know of, that about Lost. Like yeah. I that totally like yeah, Aiden like we and I were not one connected of us. to it at the time. I think we were both in college and we were just like surviving college. <laughs> I think that was yeah. probably the focus for us. So <laughs> yeah, we didn't watch any of it. I remember having friends who discussed it ravenously, but yeah. I was always like, uh, it sounds too in depth. I can't get into it now when I have finals coming. <laughs> well, yeah, and then I mean that's that's the nice thing about TV now is that. Um, when when a show ends, that's usually when we would end up watching it is after it had ended because then we could get the box set and watch it, binge watch it. Now that almost seems like the way people do it anyway with Netflix and other streaming services mm-hmm. making whole seasons available 
on one weekend so that you could binge it, which makes Twin Peaks different because it was only offered one hour at a time. Um, There's so many interesting debates we could have, I'm sure, about the benefits and drawbacks of binge watching. But but yeah, Lost seemed like a show that you needed to start from the beginning and then finish um, without... Like, if we had come into it midway, it wouldn't have worked. Um, the Sopranos that you brought up, too, that... The Sopranos also had a disappointing... Well, disappointing... Yes, controversial finale. finale yeah. um, it, that's another one that I'm a staunch defender of. Yeah. I love the finale of The Sopranos. Yeah. And what? it is so... So, I mean... Well, for some people, it's very clear what happens, and other people debate that. And, and I love that two people can be like very in set in stone about what their beliefs are and both be convinced that they're right, which is again, very, very similar to what's going on in Twin Peaks. So, um, yeah. There's a quote from David Chase where he said that he didn't want to show that crime paid uh, and he didn't want to show that crime didn't pay. Uh-huh. And I love that. Yeah. I love that he, uh, he wanted you to make that interpretation, that moral decision on yeah. your own. need to be implicated in it too to to be forced to confront it in a way that maybe you wouldn't without this show but it's such a unique way to bring you into that conversation and then to put that decision on you as an audience member that's that's kind of cool that's what i loved about the sopranos that was what made it cringe made me cringe when i watched it but also made me want to watch every episode right so (laughs) definitely yeah Wow. Okay. So, I mean, that's, that's all we had for you, Andrew. Um, do you have any final words, parting words for our listeners or for uh, fans of 25 years later, or are you ready to head to bed? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I will not be heading to bed. I have some uh, watch television watching to do of my own uh-huh. for 25 years later work. Mm-hmm. Um, so new projects on the horizon. Always. Uh, final Final words, it really is just thank you. Um, it blows my mind that we're able to have so much fun doing this and that people actually come to our site to read what we have to think. You know, that that is very humbling. And the fact that we've been able to do this for a year and that people genuinely seem to appreciate what we do, it, and that there's no other feeling like it. Beautifully put. Yes, very well done. Well, happy birthday, 25 years later, site, mm-hmm. And here's to many, 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 many more years of A-plus writing and this community building aspect of things. I can't wait to see what we, what you guys, what we all come up with for this. If you're enjoying the show and want to join the conversation, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash bickeringpeaks, all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter, that's at bickeringpeaks. Or you can head over to iTunes and leave us a review or comment. We'd love to hear from you.